Hello, I'm Regina Botras and welcome backstage where we talk with theatre makers from actors, directors, writers, theatre heads and beyond about their life in the theatre and how they got to be where they are now. And I am so excited to welcome my guest. It is Glenn Hazeldean. He has been a regular on our stages for nearly three decades. He studied at NIDA and his first professional gig was with Sydney Theatre Company, performing in David Williamson's Dead White Males. And I think I may have even very well been in the audience, showing my age there, was directed by the then artistic director, Wayne Harrison. Since then, Glenn has worked consistently stomping the boards across town. And I have seen him in many of these productions, not all of them, but to name just a few, he was in No Pay, No Way, Away, Arcadia, Love and Information, After Dinner, Porn Cake, Happiness, A Hoax, The Pig Iron People, Don's Party, Rhinoceros, All My Sons, and so, so, so many more. He is a much-loved actor, as well as a tireless advocate for actors. He is the Vice President of the New South Wales branch of Actors' Equity, and he sits on the National Performers Committee. He is also the Deputy Chair of the Actors' Benevolent Fund. It's so important. Please welcome Glenn Hazeldean. Hello, good evening. Um, I think we've probably finished there. That's uh... <laughs> No, no, there's so much more I want to know about you and your life and how you came to the stage. First of all, let's start right at the beginning. Where did you grow up and were you born into a creative household? Uh, short answer, absolutely not. I'm the only person in my family that really uh, pursued any any sort of creative you know, career or even as a pastime, really. I grew up in Lake Macquarie, just, you know, it was Newcastle at the time, but it became its own city uh, when I was a child. My mum still lives in the house out there at Toronto um, and West Lake Macquarie in a Wabical land. And I went to Newcastle Uni uh, after leaving Toronto High School, where I studied, you know, essentially I studied drama, although I didn't do very well academically back then uh but but i'd always felt you know from high school that um there was something about performing i grew up in a housing commission area at toronto west and it was always a place that i knew i had to get out of and i felt that from you know those early days at high school doing school plays that there was a an escapism in the in doing plays and musicals but there was also something about the kind of attention that it brought you know, people, I don't know, people really seem to appreciate what I was doing in those little, those little roles in those early days. And somehow, yeah, as people say, they caught the bug and that's when it happened for me. So do you remember that moment, that bug moment? Was there a particular performance or just was it just the people's reactions to you? No, I think it happened. I remember lining up at the school canteen. And I went up to get my pie, and, um, and I remember the woman, you know, one of the mothers at the tuck shop, saying, "Oh, we saw you in the school play last night. You're fantastic." And I, it was the first time anybody had ever kind of given, you know, any stranger had ever given me any positive affirmation. You know, growing up in that housing commission area, it wasn't always the healthiest environment for kids, and so there was something. I don't know. I do. I really do remember this feeling of, oh my god, I feel I feel elevated by that 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 attention and that regard. So, I, I I honestly do remember from that moment on thinking, yeah, this is where I feel right. And they've been doing it ever since. <laughs> so, but there must be something about growing up 
kind of in so low socioeconomic that that makes you kind of real and see I was say real everyone's lives real but I don't know the stories of our times in a way you were witness to maybe um human nature I don't know yeah I think there is something in it you know it was predominantly single mothers in that in our little area certainly now there were very few men and if there were men around they were shift workers you know uh, my dad left home when I was about four and we, there were four of us kids and my mum, and we had no family. My mum was an only child. My dad was from New Zealand. He went back to New Zealand. So we didn't have a family network. We had great grandparents, I remember, who lived at Katara and they were pretty much our, our only kind of close family apart from, this, you know, my mum's second cousins or whatever. Um, so yeah, it was it was a, it was a pretty tough environment. It was great. I mean, I'm still friends with the neighbours that I grew up with, and indeed, Mrs. Haynes still lives three doors up the road from my mum. And I mean, it's like family, really that that relationship. And and slowly over the over the decades, um, various various um, matriarchs from those neighbours' houses have have passed away, which is very sad. But we're still there is still a, a pretty close bond between the families. But yeah, it was it wasn't an easy time. You know, we didn't have any money. My mum was a pensioner with no with no support, yeah. and we didn't have particular luxuries. I mean, of course, it's a relative term. You make your own. But when I think back, it, it was really hard on my mum. And having four kids who were all one year apart wasn't easy for her. So it wasn't always the happiest home life either. And my family, we're very volatile people. We're very emotional and, and distrusting still. And, I, and I'm sure it has something to do with those formative, wow. formative mm. days. Distrusting. How do you mean? We really test our friendships. And I and my friends are constantly saying this of me today. Still, I'm 50. And I'm still, my friends still say, well, you, you push us away. And it's something to do with not um, being confident that there is a, that we belong, you know, that, that we are legitimate. Um, and I think, well, for me, I don't know, I can't speak to my, my surviving brother and sister, but I, I, for me, it, it, it's, um, yeah, it's, it, it's something to do with, with never being certain that I, that I actually belonged, that I was, you know, um, that there, there was substance to my, <laughs> sorry, this is going to get all very depressing, uh, but there was much substance to my part in the community, community, which is, I think, why I'm driven to, to take such responsibility for my sorority and fraternity um, with the benevolent fund and the union work, because I really do value community. It's really important to me. Mm. And I, and I, and I want to be a part of it. Mm. So I guess I, I, I do take some responsibility for, for making it, for ensuring it, its well-being. Do you feel the community then as a consequence of, you know, the work that you do, but also, uh, the industry because it can be seen as being quite I don't know cutthroat and like one I want the gig and there's so many more actors today than probably when you started like what's that like yeah I think you know from the outside I guess it is a very it would appear to be a very competitive industry but it is a great one to be a part of it actually I would say it's a privilege to be amongst this community because um when all is said and done, we, we do work in a very peculiar way. You know, a rehearsal room is really just sitting around and talking about life. 
and your life and the rules of life. That's what you do in a rehearsal room. You're trying to understand why people behave the way they do. You don't just, you don't just get up on the floor and, and randomly uh, act something out and that'll do. We're constantly probing to find out what it is that makes these people behave in this way at that time, you know, the time in which the production is set and what are the rules of their world. And you can only understand the rules of a the, the theatrical world but if you if you really do analyze the rules of life so rehearsals really are sitting around and talking about your life mm. um and that's a great you know it's a very um it's a, you have to it has to be a, a, a completely trusting environment and so i think what we get to do that the general public maybe don't often get the, the chance to experience is to talk intimately about what's happening inside us and what's happened to us in our lives. So what is that relationship between your experience and then this, I guess, microcosm of a world that you are acting inside of? Are you always bringing something of you in there? Or is it does it exist itself? Are you always casting a role too, I suppose, as, as something that you relate to? Yeah, that's interesting. I Look, I won't speak for other actors because everybody has a... Um, importantly, everybody has an approach that works for them. But for me, I only ever feel that I can play myself. I don't. Mm. I remember reading a, when I was at drama school. We we had a, we um, one of our texts, uh, guiding texts for the acting stream was um, uh, Uta Hagen's respect for acting, and she very clearly articulated something that I've always carried, and that is that that I reject personally. I don't reject it as a as an approach for others, but for me, I reject the idea that. That, that one loses themselves in a character, rather they find themselves in the character. So for me, it's important for me to understand the character, to, to really go through the script and understand the circumstances for that person, let's say, and then me find what connects me to them. So I've never experienced, I've never murdered anybody, but I have experienced something close to a murderous intent, you know, or rage or something that I can I can start to understand what it is about me that makes me behave in the way or, you know, com- maybe compelled me to behave in a way similar to the character. So I'm constantly trying to find a, a way to make myself the character rather than to create something that's independent of me. I can't experience anything uh, that I haven't, you know, I can't, I can't pretend to necessarily um, so I've got to try and find little correlations between my own experiences and the character. Uh, and then I, that, then I build on that. Does that, is that making any sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It must be quite, you know, fun <laughs> and liberating to play. How do you walk away from a role that some kind of huge emotional turmoil or something? Do you have a way to transition out? Hmm. Again, this is a very, everybody's approach is, very different for me I can throw myself into it at the time and you know rehearsals are four or five weeks of going over and over and over things so it's not like you're surprised by what's happening when you're playing the circumstances of of the show you've been through it many times and you've talked about it a lot and you've also had private conversations with the with the performers that you're working with um so but for me there's some you know I'm very aware of the artifice you know you come off stage and you walk into a a pretty rustic you know wing environment you know that's There's no bells and whistles backstage. It's it's you know it's, it's certainly at the opera house. You go back there and there are pipes everywhere and there are you know garbage <laughs> bins around the place and there are um, you know labels on black tubes running up the wall that say sewage. So it's not you know it, it is it, 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 the artifice is very clear. So for me, I walk off stage and I know that whatever happened on stage is very different to the mm. to the 
practical world that I've re-entered. Mm. So I've, I've never, I don't think I've ever really had a problem coming out of a role. However, in the exploration of a character and the exploration of a play and the experience of doing a play, things do come up that, that are quite confronting yeah. emotionally. You know, you do, it's not, mm. you, the emotions are real. My, my involvement in a high, high stakes drama is, is very, uh, what's that, what's that word? Uh, visceral. Mm. But f- for me, I've, I don't, it's very rare that I've ever felt discombobulated coming off stage. I, I think mm-hmm. it's that's very clear to me when you see your mates backstage and you, you you know you pick up on the jokes that you were making before you went on stage that it's a it's a separate thing. But mm. other people have a very different education and a very different experience. Mm. It's a clear line between each. Do you think being an actor has taught you kind of philosophical ways of living? Like I imagine it's basically kind of what you're saying in a way is also you understand acting as being so present that you have to be addressing what's exactly in front of you is there kind of uh, has it what has it taught you kind of as a person you would hope that that would be so but you know I'm 50 and I'm completely dysfunctional (laughs) I did do a a well-being um, seminar a couple of years ago in Melbourne with an excellent seminar and and I do know but her name has just popped out of my head because I wasn't prepared for this but she um she was talking about what it is to be a performer and and that she and she's a she's a a performance psychologist you know she she's a psychologist who specializes in the circumstances for creative people the creative creative state which is a you know in terms of brain function is a very particular uh, way of working and she was talking about this skinlessness that, that performers by nature or creatives are skinless. You know, they, they don't want to they don't want to put a buffer between themselves and the ugliness of life because you've got to understand the ugliness in order to be able to play the story. So she, she talks about take, you know, that we absorb a lot of dark materials, you know, a lot of mm. because that's what fuels the creative state. <clears throat> but she's, you know, she was sort of articulating that that can create all sorts of flow and effects. And she said, and this is, uh, this is, I'm trying to answer your question, why, why there's so much dysfunction in my own personal life? It, it's because um, she, said, she says, so for an actor or a performer to receive a compliment takes longer than somebody who works in the bank. So when somebody says to a performer, oh, I thought you were great in that show, they deflect it very quickly because they're very used to hearing people say, yeah, I wasn't wild about what you did. You know, 30 people might say, you were fantastic, but the one person who says, yeah, it didn't really work for me is the one that you remember for the rest of your life. Mm. And the reviews that say, amazing, what a star, what a brilliant performer, disappear very quickly. But the, but the review that says, you know, the standout for worst performance of the night was Glenn Hazeldean, you, you cannot let that go. You kind of... It's, <laughs> <laughs> because you're so vulnerable, you know, you're putting a lot out on the line. So um, uh, you're very susceptible to, to the criticism. And so we do become very, very unusually defensive people, or I, I am. Um, and, 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 this, and this theory was that, and it's interesting, that it takes something like 17 to 22, and I've forgotten the number, I didn't prepare, but, uh, you know, you need to have that, that compliment reinforced for about 20 seconds before it really roots itself and takes hold whereas any negative criticism takes a second you you hear it you hold it Mm -hmm. but and I've practiced this with friends you know performing friends who are performers by you know talking about something I've seen them do and I make sure that I keep going for about 20 seconds and keep articulating how wonderful I thought they were and how I don't know how they did it and I wish I had that ability and 
and and and, I, and at about the you know 15 to 17 second mark, something happens on their face where they mm. they just start to relax and glow, and it's because they're stopping the defensive thing of hearing something positive because they know that the fall is about to come, <laughs> and it's it's quite it's quite fascinating. So there's uh, look, I wish I was a more well-adjusted person, and I work hard <laughs> at it, and I'm trying to you know improve myself every day, but um, I think my close friends would say, yeah, no, you're just as difficult as you ever were. Is this a bad thing to ask? Is there something that, you know, you still remember that bad review and, and how did you cope with it? Like it's 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 actually easy to talk about. It's just it's just <laughs> the sad truth. Yes, of course I remember the bad reviews. Of course I do. I, I remember it not so long ago in fact doing a play we were doing a co-production between um, the Sydney Theatre Company, the Melbourne Theatre Company, and I'm not going to mention the play because I know somebody out there will go and Google it to read it, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you the, re- the reviewer, in, the Melbourne reviewer, you know, described my involvement in the play as, you know, by far the weak, the weak, the only kind of downside <gasps> of having to sit through, the sh- of sitting through the show was having to put up with my performance. And, it, and I'll never forget it. I'll never, and if I, and I've had fantasies of, you know, meeting this guy <laughs> and it was a male writer. <laughs> and what would you do? <laughs> Feeling all sorts of things over, over ranging from alcohol to effort. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. It, uh. you, you definitely hold on to that stuff. And, and, and I know, and I've had other um, creative folk um, relate directors, writers say the same thing. Mm. It's mm. It, it is tricky, you, but you definitely hold on to those ones. Oh, oh, heartbreaking! How do you cope? No wonder. <laughs> I'm really curious about that brain functioning. What is the difference between a performer and the bank person? What is that? Is it just that kind of need to, um, because you are putting everything on show? Yeah, yeah. it's our job to reveal. You know. Mm. People in everyday life, they don't, a bank teller doesn't have to reveal anything to a customer. It's not. No. It's actually not helpful to them or the customer. Mm. It may slow things down. It may complicate things. It may confuse people or create a strange um, experience, you know, an unhelpful um, corporate experience for somebody. But our job is to to open up, the, you know, those to delve into those darker um, corners of our, as our of our makeup. Mm. Um, so, and and there can only be some effect to that. You know, it would. I can't see how it's possible for there not to be some ongoing effect of of that approach to your working mm-hmm. life. And, and you know, when you're rehearsing a play, you it's not just the you know ten o'clock till six p.m. that you're in the room, re, mm-hmm. you know, practically rehearsing. You're exploring it all the time. You explore it walking through the street. You know, you're turning over it as you as you um, as you um, head home from work. You're learning lines all night. You know. It's with you. You're, you're delving a lot. Yeah. So, um, and if and I and maybe it's possible to not not experience, you know, to create a defense mechanism that, that stops those um, those uh, uh, dark, you know, influences getting into you. But I, I don't know how to do. I've, I haven't worked that out yet. Well, you have to tell me a good review now. Come on, <laughs> there must be hundreds and hundreds let me talk for 20 seconds (laughs) i want to ask you about the work that you're doing with the actors benevolent fund and uh the actors equity all of that um work talk to me about how it's going for actors out there and and you know the kind of help that people can get look it's it's let's be face let's face it it's been a really rough 18 
approaching two years and by the time we yeah. fully reopen it will be almost two years um since since the pandemic hit and uh the arts sector was the the first to close yeah. and it'll be a amongst the last industries to fully reopen. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was saying earlier that um, performers or creatives, writers are the same, they have the same experience. Um, get, getting paid to do it is not always easy. People people often ask you to do favours for free. Yeah. So it's not a, it's not, it's not a job that, that most of us do because it's lucrative. We do it because we have to, because there's nothing else we can do. It's, it's, it's a compulsion. It's an addiction. Mm. It's an addiction. Um, so when something like COVID hits and, and the industry closes down, there we, a we have no there's no income, there's no way to make income, and a lot of performers, a lot of creatives often make their money by work, you know, their, their secondary income from hospitality. Yeah. But that's all gone as well. Yeah. Um, for me, I you know I came out of high school and went to uni, and I did a couple of years at three years at Newcastle Uni. I failed, but I was doing plays all the time, and then I auditioned for drama school in Sydney and went to NIDA, and then I spent three years studying at NIDA, and then I went straight into the business. I don't have um, transferable talent, you know, skills. I, I'm worried that, you know, I'm at 50. Um, I could do entry level stuff for somebody, but I, I don't, I'm not particularly skilled. Um, and, and a lot of performers are the same. Um, we, so when, in the absence of being able to make money doing what we know how to do, it's a really tricky life. And so working for the Actors Benevolent Fund, and I've been on the committee for about 11 years now, the Actors mm -hmm. Benevolent Fund of New South Wales, I'm very aware that when somebody comes to us, um, it's, everything's confidential, of course, so I can't talk about um, any any particular, you know, particular way that we've helped people. Um, but uh, when people come to us, I'm very aware of, uh, uh, you know, the degree of um, mental health struggle mm -hmm. that very often an applicant for financial assistance is saying, look, I'm seeing a psychologist. Mm -hmm. I've run out of my, um, my, my uh, Medicare allowance mm -hmm. and, I, and I don't want to not see them. I'm really struggling at the moment. So we're, we spend a lot of money every year buying, um, are paying for people's um, mental health care. Mm -hmm. We've also devised programs with the with actors with the MEAA with Actors Equity, um, creating content that we put online. Mindfulness, you know, this this woman that I was telling you about. And I'm ashamed of myself for not remembering a name. I've been trying to Google it as we speak. Mm -hmm. um, but um, you know, trying to get some content out there that that can be helpful to people. We've we've been buying meditation courses so that we can provide them for free. We're buying people groceries because mm. we just got to get food into bellies. You know, we've yeah. spent in New South Wales alone uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars buying groceries and petrol and and um, essentials for for the for our community. Uh, we work. It's been a really trying time for the committee. Mm. We're a committee of I think fourteen or between 12 and 14 of us um, there all the time, working out ways to make money, working out ways of reaching people, and then also assessing their applications for assistance. And it's it's, it's never been a busier time. But also, having said that, the, the, the response from the community community to any um, any any um, requests for donations has been incredible. Mm. And I've got to take my hat off to the Sydney Theatre Company in particular, who put the Actors Benevolent Fund in New South Wales side by side with their own attempts to fundraise in order to keep that that um, company afloat. And so the generosity of STC uh, audiences has been extraordinary, mm. the money that that, that um, has been given. And, 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 you know, we're all volunteers as the committee, so when money comes in, pretty much every cent of it goes to helping people who need it. Mm. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's... It's great, but it's hard to ask for help, I'm sure. 
you know that's sort of probably part of the you know um, barrier it's so true it's absolutely true and part of the you know when when COVID hit part of our initial struggle as a committee as a um of the Actors benevolent fund of new south wales was creating we, we created some content you know kate blanchett came came in and and helped us with a an online um uh campaign of we, we got writers and directors and and um stage managers and and performers and we put together a whole series of of um of on you know of online content saying to people that it's okay to ask for help mm. because what a performer will do we're used to kind of you know not making a lot of money and struggling through the hard times mm. we're, we're very um match fit in that regard so often the first response when i say to somebody who i'm aware is you know maybe struggling a bit i say you know you can come to the benevolent fund you know it's all confidential and and there, there is assistance there if you need it and they say oh look I think I'll be okay. You know, I, I'm sure other people need it more than I do. And that, 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 that was the most overriding comment that we heard at the time was, oh, yeah. I think, look, I'll wait because I think other people will need it more. Mm. And what I've looked, you know, what's happened, you know, since COVID hit is um, organisations like the SBW, found, the, the uh, SBW Foundation and, um, and Sydney Theatre Company and uh, Ian Darling and all these amazing people have, have gifted us chunks of money that means that and, and the city of sydney indeed um mm. that means that we, we have the resources it's not like people are going to exhaust the fund by asking for help mm. we've got money there to 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 help people mm. it's just getting them to accept it that's difficult <laughs> we're a very proud people you know we're yeah. a very creative community mm. so getting people to actually allow their hand to sit out there as we put a, a voucher or a you know a pay their car registration or their mm -hmm. electricity bill or whatever having them hold their hand out long enough to get that assistance in there has been a struggle i have to mm. say it's 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 yeah it's, and, it, and you made a good point of course to remember that it's not just the people that are in front on the stage it's the, all the people behind the stage there's so much so many people involved in making theater and bring it to life and who are, are struggling so yeah please ask reach out if if you can so how from your projection what do things look like things i'm starting to get emails of things projected to be opening what do you foresee from your perspective i can see that the film and tv uh world is slow is is happening you know there are um not a whole lot in new south wales at the moment but certainly in queensland a number of projects in the film and television um, arena that, that have been happening um my my best buddy is uh, a casting director kirsty mcgregor and i know that she's been quite busy so that's uh, there's a great deal of optimism there mm. theater of course is a different kettle of fish because theater relies on hundreds of <laughs> people coming in to, yeah. to look at it yeah. so it'll be a little while it's you know i've started to see that in november it looks like things like late october november mm -hmm. um some musicals and things yeah. will start to, to to get back onto the, the stages um i know that various theater companies mm -hmm. aren't, i won't give anything away specifically because mm -hmm. um these it's a movable feast but yeah. i know that there are various theater companies that are projecting towards a sort of late october november uh, reawakening which will be um great but then the downside of that is often that's product that's been going that's been happening for the last oh, couple of years you know there's no new jobs for performers mm. you either had the job back then or you yeah. know you got to wait a little while longer before um it, it, before the, the 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 seeds 
germinate and start springing um you know the, the bounty starts springing forth yeah. so it's it's going to be rough you know the benevolent funders we know that we've got it's a long road ahead you know there is a glimmer of light at the, in the tunnel but we know that we have to work really hard to and and i'm glad you 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 observe you um made that observation that the benevolent fund despite the name actors benevolent fund is an industry-wide fund so we we mm. if you if you make your livelihood by working in the, the the entertainment industry chances are that the benevolent fund can can help mm. Well, Glenn Hazeldine, thank you so much for joining me today or this evening. Look, it has been great, a great pleasure. And, and thank you for all you're doing to, um, to, to, you know, to keep the movement vital and alive and to keep the conversation alive. It's a really, it's a really important for the, from, I believe in it, you know, that, that society functions better for having art in it. And I'm really grateful that there are people like you out there who, who recognise that and you, and you fulfil your part of the deal. You know, art is an interesting experience and I'm glad that you're there kind of servicing that essential part of the conversation. I will. I'll keep talking about it and I'll keep coming to see you on stage as soon as I can. And I think you've found your belonging place, your tribe, Glenn Hazeldine. <laughs> Thank you very much. And if you come and see anything, please send a note backstage and I'll buy you a glass of wine. Well, I look forward to that. Well, that was Glenn Hazeldine, one of our most loved actors. And please, if you are in the industry, do reach out to the Actors Benevolent Fund. Uh, they are sure to help you in some way, somehow, uh, whether that's with vouchers, whether that's with paying a little bit towards uh, bills or some online. Do look them up. Actors Benevolent Fund Uh You've been listening to Stages. That's it from me. I'm Regina Botras. I will see you next week. <laughs>